Thank you, praise team. We appreciate leading us that way. Well done. Always good to see you, Aaron. Nice to have you here. Well, good morning once again, and um, congratulations to all of you Ducks fans, and congratulations to all of you Beaver fans, and go USC. I suppose we can, that's my team, so what can I tell you? Anyway, here we are, guys. We are finishing up a series uh, that we started, uh, oh, several weeks ago, and we started this series, and we started by asking this question right here. Is there any practical use for Christianity? In other words, we all know that Christianity, the theory, if you will, we call it theory simply because it's by faith, meaning it can't be proven. I can't prove anything to you. I can't prove to you that Jesus Christ died for your sins and that you have eternal life. It's just what the Word of God says. We believe it by faith. And it's something that we receive one day down when we die. We close our eyes. We wake up. We believe we'll be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. But the question is, what about here and now? As I live my life, is there any practical use for Christianity. Some people would say no. There are actually some people who believe that God creates the world. Jesus did die for us, but he leaves us on our own. He gives us no help whatsoever. He takes his hands off and says, look, I'll see you at the end. That's it. They're called deists. Okay. We are theists. We believe that God actually gets his hands dirty with humanity. He's involved in our lives and he wants to help us. Okay. But we need to go all the way back to the very first week. Many of you weren't here. I think we actually started this at the time of the, uh, the church camp out. By the way, all of these previous sermons are on the, the webcast right now. After the podcast, you can get there to www.salemfirst.com. Go to podcast. All the previous sermons are there. Here's what I wanted us to remember when we first started this about does God help us? Well, how about this? Let's remember that helping me live what most call a full, healthy and productive life is not his highest priority. Okay? Sorry. But there it is. Or how about this? God through Jesus is the end, not the means to the end. Do you remember this? Do you remember as we talked? Some of you weren't here. Maybe you need to listen to that sermon. In other words... Sometimes we come to God and we say, I want God because I have this problem and I need him to fix this problem. I need God because I'm not happy. And I need God to come and make me happy. I need God because I'm, I'm sick and I need God to come and heal me. Now, did you understand what we're doing there? We're saying, I really don't want God. I want something that he's going to give me. I want to be happy. I want to be healthy, whatever it is. That's what I want. God is just simply a way to get it. Which means if I could show you another way to get it, you'd take it like that. Because it's not God you want. He is not the end. He's the means to the end. Now, sometimes that's what we're thinking now. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, remember from that first sermon, if you didn't listen to it, Word of God tells us that, that, you'll, that God says, look, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. We have to come to the place where I want God because he's God. If he kills me, I want God. If he makes me rich, I want God. If I stay sick, I want God. He is what I want, not just what he's going to give me, okay? And also this, his highest priority for me is my place in his kingdom, okay? His highest priority isn't my, what we might call that happy, healthy life. My highest, his highest priority for me is my place in his kingdom, and that includes my salvation, 
and that includes my place of service. Okay, that's what he's looking for. When we come to him, he says, okay, my highest priority for you is eternity. It's not just to make you happy here. It's not to make you healthy here. As a matter of fact, I may call you to suffer. I may call you to walk a, a path you don't want. Because my highest priority for you is eternity. And my highest priority for you right now in this kingdom, in this world, is your service in my kingdom to bring other people to me. That's his highest priority. Not what most people would call that um, happy, healthy, productive That's what started this whole series, okay? But be of good cheer, because while that is true, everything we just told you is absolutely true, our Father does want to help us in our life, okay? He is involved in our life. His highest priority isn't necessarily to fix all of our boo-boos, but He does work with us, and He does help us, and we should rejoice at that. This is what the Bible says. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Selah. Think about it. God says, I am there for you. I will help you. The message puts it this way. God is a safe place to hide, ready to help when we need him. We stand fearless at the cliff edge of doom. I wish That's a great thing to, to, to get to that point, but I think many of us still have a little fear when we're on that cliff edge. But when we walk with God and we understand how he helps, we can get to that point. Courageous in sea storm and earthquake, before the rush and roar of the oceans, the tremors that shift the mountains, and then he ends this way. Jacob wrestling God fights for us. God of angel armies protects us. Yes, God does help us in our daily lives. There is a practical use for Christianity. That's what we have been looking at. So we're in this series called Help Lord. I'm, and then we've been filling in the blank, kind of an introduction to practical Christianity. So far, we started by looking at Help Lord, I'm grieving. We looked at how God helps us when we're in the middle of, of grief. And then we looked at fear. Help God, I'm afraid. And we looked at how God helps us in the middle of our fear. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about anger. Help God, I'm angry. Or help God, I'm angry a lot. This is what we've seen so far. Ready? Now we're into your sermon notes if you want to follow those along. At times we understand everybody gets angry, even God. Not only that, at times everyone gets really angry, even God. And sometimes I'm supposed to be angry. Anger is not necessarily sin. Sometimes not to be angry would be wrong. Okay? So it isn't necessarily are you angry or not angry because everybody goes through anger and sometimes it's absolutely right to be angry. But we also saw this, remember? There are two types of anger. There's that situational anger. In other words, that's the anger that, that we get because of a situation that has arisen. And then there's lifestyle anger. You know, some of those people who, who wear their anger like a cloak, they never get rid of it. They're angry all the time. Initially, when we talked about those, uh, the lifestyle, I mean, the uh, situational anger, you know, some of the things that we need to do about that one. But then a couple weeks ago, we started dealing with lifestyle anger, which is a huge issue for many people. You're angry all the time. And last week, we said there are four questions we need to ask. We went a little more pastoral last week rather than prophetic. We talked a little bit more about, you know, speaking as a, as a pastor who cares about you. And here are those four questions. Do you remember them? You need to ask yourself, if you find yourself on the edge all the time, everything's just ticking you off. 
people are maybe even speaking to you, why are you so angry all the time? Maybe you recognize it in yourself, maybe you don't. Maybe someone's had to sit down and say, boy, you're just angry all the time. What's going on? Well, here's the question. Are you clinically depressed? I can't answer that one. You need a doctor to tell you that one because if you are clinically depressed, if your brain is not producing the correct amount of the dopamines and the norphins and the other things that it's supposed to do, do you remember how many chemical reactions take place in your brain every second? 100,000 every second. So again, you just use four or 500,000 chemical reactions just to listen to that last sentence. But yeah, you're already exhausted, right? It's no wonder you're tired. There it is. But what if your brain isn't producing the right chemicals? Well, then all those chemical reactions are a little off. And some people, when they're clinically depressed, get very, very sad and suicidal and they withdraw. And other people, it just kind of ticks them off. They just get angry all the time. I can't answer whether you're clinically depressed. Go see a doctor. If you find yourself in that anger situation, please go see your doctor and talk. Because if it is that kind of, nothing else is going to help us. If you're a diabetic, go see your doctor. We can pray over you, but you're a diabetic. You don't produce sufficient quantities of insulin. Go see your doctor. Same thing. All right? But once we've done that, here we go. Are you fearful? What are you afraid of? A lot of people are so afraid. They're afraid of losing control. They're, they're afraid of change. They're afraid of new people. They're afraid of different people. They're afraid that their lifestyle is changing. They're afraid that America is changing. It's not what it used to be, and it's really ticking me off because they're afraid of what is going to come. Okay? You're just going to have to trust the Lord there. Are you hurting? If you're hurt all the time, you're going to be angry all the time. And what we talked about last week is make sure that your hurt is real, okay? Because a lot of people get hurt over things that never really happened, kind of all in their head, you know? You're slighted. You feel that your, your friend or somebody, you know, didn't speak to you. They, they ignored you, and you read into your mind, well, they hate me, and you get mad at them, when in fact, they have their own issues and problems as well. So please make sure that if you're hurt, make sure it's real, Okay? And are you stressed? Because stressed people can be angry people. And you say, of course I'm stressed. Stress is part of life. Yeah? But it doesn't have to be the way that we create it. Let's be honest. Many of our times, we're so stressed because of what we created, the decisions we made, and we could unmake them. Parents, I'm going to tell you one more time. Your kids do not have to be in every event. They don't. They'll live. They will. As a matter of fact, your family might even be happier. If sometimes they say, hey, can we be in there? You say, no. We need a break from that. Let's just go be a family. Let's just take a break from that. Your kids will be fine. It is not abuse if you don't sign them up for everything. Sometimes all that just creates family stress. Yeah, you got them in all those wonderful activities, but everybody's mad at each other all the time. Who wants that? So we looked at the fact that Jesus says, you've got to get away. And the greatest gift that our Father's given you is called the Sabbath day of rest. Do you take that as a rest somewhere, sometime? Do you actually pull back? Because that's what life is. It's engaging in life and it's pulling back. It's like the waves on the, on the, on the shore. You, you, you engage in what has to happen, but you have to have times when you pull back and you rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father created you that way. If you're not living in that cycle and in that rhythm, you are not living according to the creation that God placed within you. And you have to, and by the way, recreation is not the same thing as relaxation, okay? 
the stress of recreation, your body doesn't know any difference between the stress of recreation and the stress of financial concern. Your body does not recognize any difference between those two. It has the exact same effect on your body. Whether you're stressed because you're in competition somewhere or you're stressed because you can't pay your bills. Where do you get away? Where do you lay it down? So today we're going to finish up the whole thing. But we need to change the title. The title so far of this series has been this. Help, Lord, I'm. Okay? But today, I could have put it in there, but it's been so long, I said, oh, no, I'll forget it. So we're going to take out that word, I'm. Let's take a look at this next one, okay? It's just help, Lord. Okay, we're going to do there. What about... If you are with someone who's angry all the time, now what do you do? I mean, just one thing, if, if you have that anger all the time, but what if it isn't you? What if it's someone you love? Does the God of angel armies have anything to say to you? So we're calling this one, help Lord, my loved one is really angry. Now what do you do? Okay, here we go. Ask this question. Does my loving Heavenly Father expect me to suffer abuse? That's a good question. Because a lot of times when you're in a relationship, a loved one, it could be spouse, it could be child, it could be parent, it could be friend, it could be whatever it is, that they're angry all the time. There's abuse that's going on there because they're angry all the time. Does my loving Heavenly Father expect me to suffer abuse? Are you ready for the answer? How about this? Sometimes, yes, He does. Yep. Seems why I'm coming back to this whole thing. Remember when we started to say, remember, His highest priority isn't necessarily that happy, healthy lifestyle that the world would consider happy, healthy. Sometimes our Father not only expects it, sometimes He calls us to abuse. It's in his will. This is what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are persecuted. What's the key there? Because of righteousness. Okay. Now, remember that one. As a matter of fact, read that with me right there. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Okay, let's stop it right there because that's the key phrase I need you to remember. Blessed are those who are persecuted, because for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Okay? It happens. Rejoice, he says, and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yes, there are times that our Father not only expects abuse, he calls us to it. Let me read a couple other scriptures. They're not up here, but I'll go through them fast. Ready? Here's one. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial, the abuse you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you are participating in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when glory is revealed. Next one. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. How about that? One more time. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, cores with Christ, if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may share his glory. Romans, by the way, chapter 8, 17, you want to check me out? Yep. Sometimes we suffer abuse. Sometimes God calls us to us. One more time. I want to know Christ, Paul says. 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and the, and the abuse that people heaped upon him because he was the son of God. I want to share in that abuse is what Paul says. Yeah, there are times. But you get the key. Sometimes God does call us to be abused when we are being abused for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the kingdom. When people are persecuting us because we are Christ followers, then we take the abuse. We as Christians do not take up arms and form an army and go fight them. We do not kill them. We take the abuse in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that's what he's called us to. But that's really not what we're talking about here, is it? Because the abuse that we suffer from the people who are angry around us, it's not really for the cause of Christ. So I want you to remember this. Ready? Here it is. And this is so important. Please. Please. Some of you need to write this down and see it every single day. It's just simply this. I was not created to be abused. Okay? I was not created to be abused. We are not here to be someone's physical or emotional punching bag. It is inappropriate. It is wrong. But your abuser will tell you, you deserve it. You, it's your fault. You deserve to be treated this way. That's an abuser. Someone who's angry. Someone who needs to lash out and justify their lashing out by saying, you deserve the abuse. This is what the Bible says. Psalm 17, I mean, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow. You are the apple of God's eye. He loves you so much. He's got your picture in his wallet. He's got a wallet this thick. He can't, I mean, he loves you. He probably brings the angels over and say, man, look at these, look at this person. I love this person so much. You are the apple of his eye. You are not here to be abused by anyone, ever. If God calls you to it for righteousness, okay, you do it. You don't have to like it, by the way. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, it does say rejoice, but come on. Okay, even Jesus, as he's getting ready to be crucified, said, Father, is there another way to do this? But was willing to go through. Nevertheless, not that my will, but thine be done. However, once we're outside of that righteous realm, and we're just talking about living our lives, you are not created to be abused. You are the apple of God's eye. He loves you so much. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you deserve the abuse and the anger, the lashing out, and it's your fault, and no one would ever treat you better. Oh, they love to say that, don't they? I treat you so, nobody would ever, because this is what you deserve. You were not created to be abused. Which means that sometimes when we find someone who is angry, all the time, and one of our loved ones is, is, is heaping that abuse. And that abuse can be, it can be physical, but it can be emotional or verbal. 
it can just be sometimes that constant anger that makes you walk on eggshells around them so that you have to live your life with them in the center doing things just the way that they need because otherwise, man, they can look at you like that and you know, you know, one more toe out of place and man, they'll smack you down like that. Maybe they'll hit you. Maybe it just comes out in that angry, angry tirade. Sometimes we have to confront them. Sometimes when we're in that situation, we're going to have to sit down with that person and say, this is not acceptable. And when we do, we have to remember this. Confrontation must be done in brokenness. To abuse your abuser isn't going to get you very far. To get really mad at them and get in their face and yell at them probably isn't going to work. First of all, you're going to abuse them in your anger and they're probably not going to take it and you're going to lead to one huge escalation. Any kind of confrontation must be done in brokenness. And here's why. Let me tell you, this is what Paul said to the churches in Galatia. He put it this way. He said, brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is nothing, he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to anyone else. For each one should carry his own load. In other words, this is where he comes and he says, look, you got to confront. Remember this. You are confronting a sinner. But guess what you are? You're a sinner. And it's a sinner confronting a sinner. Has to be done. Needs to be done. And you say, yeah, but... but the abuser's sin is so much worse than my sin. Oh, really? Talk to God about that one, have you? I think you discovered that to our Father, sin is sin. Yes, there are times we need to sit down and we need to confront an abuser. Maybe we don't do it alone. Maybe we bring some people with us, but we don't confront them in anger. We confront them in brokenness because what we're confronting is their sin, all the while knowing that we ourselves have sinned. Now, we may have received that forgiveness from the Father, which is wonderful. But I can't come to them in arrogance now and say, ah, because that's what will happen. Let me tell you what you're doing to me. And they will say, oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you. And they'll just give a whole long list of the ways that you've sinned. And then you know what? you got nowhere to go. Because they're right. Confrontation must be done in that loving brokenness. I have something I need to say to you. And if you cannot do it alone, if you're fearful of doing it alone, and sometimes that happens, sometimes the abuser has such a control, or the abuser, you're afraid of how they're going to react, then you bring someone along. You call me and say, hey, let's have an, a meeting in my office. You call one of the pastors, you call a friend, you sit down and say, there's something I need to say to you. And I, I know that I have sinned, I know that I am broken, I know that I am not perfect. But what I'm going to talk about now is hurting our relationship. And more than that, I think it's hurting you. I think one of the reasons you can't maintain the relationships 
that you want. Because you're angry all the time. I love you so much. Why are you angry all the time? You hurt me so much over the last weeks and months. I can't trust your reaction. Sometimes you're wonderful and sometimes you fly off at the handle and, and say horrible things. And it's not right. And I can't deal with it anymore. And I know that I'm not perfect. I admit my sin. And I admit that there may have been times that I've done something stupid. I can accept that. But your anger all the time. We have to address it. What can we do? How can I help you? Because we can't go on. This is not acceptable. So now we come to the tricky part. How about this? Let's let's move on to our, our fourth thing, okay? You confront them. They're in brokenness. How about this? If they repent... You forgive them. Every single solitary time. Every single solitary time. Say that with me. Every single solitary time, if they repent, you forgive them. I will never forgive them for what they did. Then you will always, always, always you will never heal from what they did. Never. You yourself are keeping the wound open for the rest of your life. Raw, bleeding, infected, and you're doing it to yourself. And now, more than that, you sin against them. Here's what Jesus said. Because, of course, you know, the, in the Jewish mind, by the way, what you did is you, is you for, would forgive somebody seven times. That was the perfect number and to do. Jesus said this, watch yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Now, would we do that? Oh, at some point, at, you know, after the second or third, we go, oh. no, if he comes back in repentance, if he comes back and seven times harms you, hurts you, says something, but seven times you're going to be like, oh, I am so, I was wrong to do that. You know what you do? You forgive. And if you don't, if you don't, you will never, ever, ever heal and get ready for this one. At that point, you switch roles and you become the abuser. As you abuse the grace of God that so freely forgave you and me, but you will no longer extend to someone else. But now we come to the tricky part. This is important. Muy importante. Okay, so far, hopefully we're, we're good. You're, you're with me in this whole thing, okay? We, we're, we're not here to be abused. Sometimes we have to confront that abuse, and when we do, we do that in brokenness. And when they repent, we forgive them. But we need to do this. Here we go. Ready? We have to learn to set spirit-led, healthy boundaries. Okay. 
spirit-led, healthy boundaries. In other words, please remember this. That when I forgive you, doesn't mean I'm going to trust you. Now, it's not on that screen, but if you want to write that one down, maybe you're better. Just because I forgive you doesn't mean I'm going to trust you. Let me give you an example. My next door neighbor. Somehow, I mean, they come in, they watch the child. Or let's, let's change the whole thing. Just talk about a babysitter. Babysitter comes in, you hire a babysitter, they come in. Then you find out that while you're gone, that babysitter was abusing your, your child. They were yelling and calling them names that whole bit. And you find it because you've got one of those little nanny cams on there and you watch them. Oh my word. They're just... And so you confront them and they, oh, I'm so sorry. And they, they truly repent. And you do what? Do you hire them as your babysitter again? No. I do forgive you. But if you think I'm going to let you around my kids, you're nuts. Because I'm not going to bet my children's life that you won't do it again. And that's what you're asking me to do, and I won't do it. Now, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold this against you. I'm not going to harbor that. I honestly forgive you, and I pray that everything goes well. But I will not let you babysit again. Just because you forgive doesn't mean we've reestablished trust. Those healthy boundaries sometimes means that when we're connected with an abuser, we have to break the connection. I do forgive you. But I don't choose to be around you anymore. I'll tell you what. Let's take a year. Work on your anger. Let me see that that you're not angry anymore and I would love to reestablish. But while I forgive you completely, I don't trust you at all. That's really one of the things that Paul said right here. Remember, God has a high view of marriage. Incredibly heavy. You know, divorce is sin. He doesn't like divorce. He wants people to be married all the time. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and he says this right here to, to the married. He says, to the married, I give this command. Not, not I, but the Lord. So now he's saying, look, this isn't just my advice. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, what? What do you mean if she does? You just said she shouldn't. Why would a woman separate from her husband? Well, it couldn't be because she wants to go hang out with other people. That would be adultery and be wrong. What if the relationship with her husband is just so painful that he's abusive and he won't stop? She can't trust him. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled. In other words, there comes a time when God says, look, I didn't create you to be abused. I did not create you to be abused. You're not here to be abused. Your husband, your wife, your children, they're not here to hurt you. You are not their punching bag, spiritually, physically, emotionally. I didn't create you for that. And if they cannot stop, then it's time to get out. You set a healthy boundary. And you say, I cannot be around you until this issue is fixed. Because if I'm around you, you will just hurt me. And my father didn't create me to be your punching bag. And Jesus didn't die on the cross so that I could be your punching bag. 
can't be with you until it's fixed. So fix it. I forgive you, but I don't trust you. This needs to be done. Did you notice as you look at your sermon notes? Spirit-led, healthy boundaries. Before you come to that point in our relationship, I urge you to seek godly counsel from the people around you who are wiser or at least have the wisdom in this whole situation because they're not in the middle of it. It could be your pastors. It could be good friends. Seek godly counsel and say, is it time? Is this what we have to do? It is a last resort kind of thing. But it's there. Because sometimes our loved ones don't want to get better. And you know what? There's nothing you can do about that. God didn't put you in that relationship to change the other person because it cannot be done. It cannot be done. It cannot be done. Say it with me. It cannot be done. One more time. It cannot be done. You cannot change your partner. You cannot change another person. It is not in your power. We can confront and say, this isn't working. We need it fixed. But there may be a time when we have to say, can't be around you until it is. And our Father says, I will help you make that decision and I will help you get through it. Okay? So, this is one I can't ask you. I can't say, okay, everybody, put up your hand. Who do you? We're not going to do that, all right? This is where we're going to give you a little time now in what we call Selah, just what we call, what we say, think about it, okay? We're going to be playing some music. The, uh, the, the communion elements are up here. We serve what's called open communion here, which means that anybody can receive the elements, whether you're a first-time visitor or not. We don't have classes. It's between you and the Lord. We're going to give you about 10 minutes or so. And it could be that at this point in time, you're going to be thinking and the Spirit brings to you on the mind of a friend or someone who's going through this and you're going to lift them up in prayer, maybe even sit down with them at some point this week and say, look, this is what, this is what the Word of God says and bring your sermon notes and talk with them and say, here's where we're... It could be you're in the middle of it right now and you've got some decisions to make. It could be that one or two in this room are so angry and you know it's hurting your relationships. You're so afraid the person's going to leave you. You know why? One, because it's going to be exposed. But number two, who will you pick on? That's true. There are people who try to keep you in relationship because otherwise, who do they pick on? Kicking the dog just doesn't do it. But emotionally kicking your partner. So they try to drag you in. Maybe some of you are there. This is the day, please. Stop it. Seek the help of God. You're a sinner like everybody else in this room, okay? You're not a worse sinner. You're just a sinner. But the grace of God is for you just as it's for everyone else. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, will those, by the way, who are helping with communion, do we have those who are assigned for communion? Fantastic. Thank you. Come on up. 
There'll be some music playing in just a moment. Altars are open. This is your time with the Lord. And in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant. My blood shed for forgiveness of sins. For as often as you do eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you remember the Lord's death till we come again. And remember, that's what this is all about. Jesus Christ died, not just so we could go to heaven, but that we could even take care of our anger issues here and now. The cross wasn't just about eternity. It was about the presence of God today that can help us even in the midst of anger.